0: And welcome to the Renegade Economist with your host Carl Fitzgerald here on 3CR broadcasting out of Smith Street, Melbourne. And yeah, it's been a bit of a stressful week for me. My wife has been in hospital recovering from a cancer operation. So luckily, I was on the other side of the mic on the Solidarity Breakfast Show just recently as Annie McLaughlin and Kim Doyle from Solidarity Breakfast Show. Check it out, Saturday morning, 7.30 to 9 a.m., interview me on uh, the recent Bubble Mania discussion here in Australia. They pop up every so often and it was a frenetic one of recent, so great to have the opportunity to discuss some of the broader issues we We plug here on The Renegade Economist each week. So sit back and enjoy.
1: We've got you in here because we love hearing what you've got to say in reaction to uh, our Treasurer's uh, recent uh, announcement that uh, basically in order to be able to be a homeowner in Australia, you just have to get a better job or, in fact, stop being poor. Now, um, he said that uh, there is no housing bubble and technically speaking... There isn't a housing bubble because a housing bubble would be called a housing bubble when you have inflated prices and no buyers. But we still have buyers. What what what's your reaction?
0: Yeah, well that's a, a new new concoction, a new diversion plan. That, uh, the big the top end of town is coming up with to uh, try and deflect from the tragic reality that our wages cannot keep up with the prices we're being asked to pay. And that's the definition of a bubble is, is when wages can't keep up with the, the prices and then backing that up are uh, the rents also can't rationalise the prices being paid. So, uh, yeah, it, it's crazy that people like Harry Triggerboff are saying, look, it's rubbish, there's a, there's, there's a bubble because there's all this demand. And then we have Alan Oster, who's the uh, chief economist at the NAB, saying, look, there's genuine demand out there. Well, the point we say is we need to define the difference between speculative demand and housing demand, and that's what's being missed.
2: If I had one question about, there seems to be, you talk to any construction worker and they tell you that they're preoccupied making these dog boxes is what they call them. Why is there so much demand for these dog boxes when none of us are dog-sized?
0: Yeah, well, it's become a commodity, hasn't it? And uh, we know that a lot of international investors have a different outlook on housing, and they're looking for a a way to park their money to to somehow get it out of China, and uh, apartment living is quite normal in Asia, so perhaps that's where quite a lot of demand is coming from. I think uh, foreign investments up about 20% um, or is assuming 20% of overall demand up from three or 4% uh, five or six years ago. So it's a pretty uh, rapid increase. But alongside of that, there are those time poor professionals who want to live in a city who are over the commuting, who are recognise that the government has a failed model for infrastructure financing and perhaps they're also adding to to that demand.
1: So what we're really talking about here is two different issues. One is uh, the uh, issue of there being demand and doesn't matter where it comes from and the idea of running a country where inequality widening and widening and widening. Uh, Robert Reich from America said that the health of an economy should be based on how an ordinary person's uh, wages and position is affected by the economy, as opposed to how the big end of town is affected by the economy.
0: And and the two-speed race is defined by uh, wages versus capital gains and and that's the dichotomy that's out there and we're still trying to imagine that we can survive under the same roof but this is a a huge advantage to those enjoying who who already have wealth then being able to invest and make these immense capital gains and that's where all the tax advantages are going Uh, these guys have so many loopholes so you know it's not just negative gearing there's the capital gains tax exemption um, self-managed super funds can uh, buy and sell real estate now, paying zero capital gains tax. They can also borrow against their their holdings within a self-managed super fund. So, as if that's not going to make things more risky, but uh, us wage earners, they're getting you know two or three percent gains each year. Are meant to be able to keep up with uh, all of this capital from all around the world um, piling into real estate.
1: Now we know that. Uh Hockey's family is uh, real estate agents.
0: Yes, if you visit Hockey's, H-O-K-E-Y-S dot com dot au and look under the About Us section, you'll see that four of the six staff are all Hockey's. And uh, yeah, it's it's not some poor migrant story there, but uh, it, it's of no surprise to us when we realise this that Hockey, of course, is uh, a supporter of higher real estate prices and a bubble denier. Mm.
2: The other question that I had is about I've forgotten the figures but I know that there's a very high rate of vacancies in a lot of these houses um, especially in the docklands but I've heard that they're still making people money how does that work economically?
0: Yes well that um, relates to our uh, vacant housing survey we do called the speculative vacancies report where we use water consumption as a proxy for vacant housing and we Analyze abnormally low levels of water consumption as a indicator that the property may well be vacant and uh, that's taken over 12 months so it's a significant time frame we um, use the uh, threshold of um, 50 litres or less water consumption a day. Now, there, there are some freaks out there, probably listening to 3CR who survive on that, but they're only 2 or 3% of the population who save their shower water and tip that down the toilet when they need to, and uh, all those sort of tricks. But um, a, a single person uses 176 litres of water a day, so when you times that by 2.1, 2.6 people on average, um, we feel it's a pretty conservative finding. So how does holding a vacant property make you money? Well, um, our man Harry Triggerboff he, he stated to the American-Israeli um, dinner a few years ago about how um, easy it was to leave your apartment empty, claim the depreciation, and each year get the um, property revalued, and then go and leverage against that to go and buy more real estate. So it's all about the capital gains again. It's not about the rent and that's the thing people have to realize. So the point is that you can rent out a property for around about sixteen dollars to $18,000 a year at the moment. And uh, the capital gains are about triple that. It's somewhere sixty to 70000 a year. So you can risk having your kitchen wall kicked in or you can keep it empty and uh, have a two-year investment window and, and flip it in that second year and uh, there's all sorts of advantages out there if you go to these property spruiking seminars they tell you about postcode hopping where you can switch your um, personal address and your mobile ph- your voting address and your uh, mobile phone bill one bill put it at this new investment property go and pick up uh, your paperwork every now and again that qualifies it as your primary residence and from that you don't pay any capital gains tax
1: what do you mean? I just don't understand. I really don't understand. It just doesn't make any sense. It has no genuine value to the human species.
0: Well it doesn't, but that's been that's been the agenda that's been etched away ever since the 1880s and the robber Barons. We sort of, you know, see the, ev- the devolution of economics, uh, the classical economists, uh, you know, Adam Smith, uh, sure, he's demonized uh, largely on uh, 3CR, but if you actually read The Wealth of Nations, you can see that both the free market and the invisible hand are mentioned once, but the term monopolies is talked about 67 times. Tax reform is, is basically, I think, around 80 and land reform is is of similar sort of number. So it was important to have these natural monopolies, the ownership of the earth, sh- you know, the, the naturally rising bounty of the earth shared amongst everyone. And that's how commerce would be facilitated.
1: Father Bob Maguire was at International Justice for Cleaners Day the other day and he, he actually... Uh, quotes Adam Smith because he actually says that in The Wealth of Nations, he acknowledges that you have to look after your workers because they are part of your most important capital.
0: Yeah, well, can you own people? Well, That's it's a bit of
2: honesty there.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's getting that way. And one of the things that really scares me is how now the um, our death pledge, our mortgages... Uh, have been extended from uh, 15 years, some 30 or 40 years ago, to 25 to now 40 years in Australia, and you can even stretch it to 50-year mortgages. So that's just extraordinary. And in Japan in 1995, they made it a 100-year mortgage. And all around the world, uh, the, these mortgage um, repayment times uh, keep increasing. So um,
1: so is this a new version of indentured
0: It's exactly what's happening. And uh, we've got the block and, you know, all these renovation shows on TV brainwashing people that you've got to get in on this game. It's the only way. And, um, you know, on on the other side, you've got all of these uh, tax reviews that have been happening around the world since the GFC, whether it's the Henry tax review, the Merleys review in the UK, the New Zealand tax working group. Um, Even this year, we've had two um, papers from Treasury who have mentioned that basically we have to get away from taxing these immobile incomes that can easily be flitted off to Singapore or through uh, Ireland onto the Netherlands and the double Dutch-Irish sandwich, all those sort of tricks. And we need to come back and place these taxes on the immovable assets, our land and natural monopolies. And that's what I keep reminding people on The Renegade Economists.
2: I just had a question about what do you think will... What will be the thing that bursts the bubble? Is it when people lose their jobs or what exactly is going to happen?
0: Well, that's the, usually the indicator is when unemployment starts to increase. And so yeah, a year or two ago, we were thinking, gee, unemployment is starting to go up. Things are going to happen. But uh, of course, the mining bubble kept steaming ahead. Um, but now it, it's we're right on the again on the hooks, what's going to come through and, and save the great australian economic miracle and keep us going you know what are we at 23 24 years on people can't remember the last recession virtually so uh, this week uh, the, the the analysts have been saying well it's going to be the chinese share market you know that's totally in bubble territory and it's a ridiculous height so Maybe that might be the, uh, the, the issue that, that pulls the global economy apart. And uh, I don't know, maybe the, the banks will just keep extending this credit and no one will care that they've got a 300-year a mortgage in a few years and that'll just be totally normal.
1: Very postmodernist. Oh, you know, it's yes. all just uh, pretend. What are mm. governments for? Why are they creating systems and uh, laws that bolster a situation like this?
0: Well, that's, that's where you know, participatory democracy needs to come back. And uh, I always uh, talk about how we're lucky to have these airwaves here for 3CR, these public airwaves, and how it's one of the last recognitions of the, this, this um, incredible commons of the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, and we look, if we flick that over to the political spectrum, it, it's just maddening that politicians have to pawn their policies to largely pay for advertising on what were once known as the public airwaves. So if uh, we could have a a system uh, of free advertising for political parties per election, there'd there'd be some sort of formula, but countries like New Zealand are moving this way. It would help pull some of the money out of politics. And that's why I'm so happy to see people like Lawrence Lessig and Co in America really pushing back for uh, genuine democratic reform.
2: In some ways it reminds me of what happened sort of after the Occupy movement in America where some people from Occupy went into, they would de-evict people, families would be evicted from their houses and then they would be put in front of their house where they could stand and watch it being empty because that makes more economic sense and there was for a while a bit of a movement that everyone would turn up and would not let them be evicted and obviously you don't want to get to the point where people are losing their houses in Australia but I think it's that kind of movement that would put pressure on
0: oh yeah occupy foreclosures it was fantastic what happened there and uh that could be something but i just think the problems are of such a magnitude we need to pick a strategy that can split the right wing and uh, we can um, arm ourselves with the sort of language where we can outdo the neocons when you take on board this argument we're pushing that uh, if we harness the economic rents the unearned income That society naturally creates there's more than enough money there to uh, basically reduce income taxes and we could even uh, hold out the the fig leaf to uh, the companies and say you can pay zero company taxes because we're collecting all this money these monopoly rights and uh, that's the coded language that's behind all these tax reviews and you know, in, in a way, what we're saying is that we're channeling the property bubble away from the banking system and back towards government. And when you channel that, that income stream of of the naturally rising value of the earth to government, um, you're basically pulling away the honeypot. And uh, by doing that, people realize they can't make so much money in real estate anymore. So they start being entrepreneurial and and Creating jobs.
1: Well, it's interesting because uh, it was always my theory that uh, uh, Howard was in for so long because he did generate a kind of uh, renovation paradise where a whole lot of the ordinaries had uh, overextended themselves, and it was almost like uh, if they moved left or right or breathed in or breathed out, it would all collapse. And so they had uh, bought their ticket and they needed to keep going on the same Howard journey or everything would fall apart. The other day, someone bought a, a piece of land with a, a line written, drawn around it, a white line drawn around it that was the size of a car, for $100,000,
0: That was in Sydney, wasn't it? A car park. That's right, a
1: car park. Now, that means that uh, assuming things change so that land values reflect actual need and actual value, people who have bought a piece of land that uh, has got a line drawn around it for $100,000 would then lose the value of that piece of property.
0: Going into a bit of theory, the... The difference between the value and the price would be more, would would equalise, and so the value is what you can actually earn from being in that location. You know what what is the the uh, a fair price for uh, car parking in that uh, location? Times that over twenty years, and that's the price you should be paying. Um, th- that's the land value, but unfortunately, people factor in the expected future capital gains. Well, I'm not going to pay know 100k i'm going to pay 120 because i know in a couple of years time i'll be able to sell it for 160 when everyone starts thinking that way when the tax system's supporting that the banks are supporting it the media's on board um, everyone thinks that's the only way it can go and somewhere along the line uh, uh, someone on the inside makes a statement uh, uh, like uh, treasury secretary john fraser old school uh, uh, economist who says look Sydney's unequivocally in a bubble, and when he said that a couple of weeks ago, we sort of thought, jeez, maybe that statement is going to pop this bubble. But of course, uh, clearance rates are still piling ahead, but we'll see what happens in the coming weeks.
1: Now, it's quite bizarre because you realise, of course, the cost of uh, uh, buying in Sydney or Melbourne can be more expensive than buying an apartment overlooking Central Park in New York.
0: Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. And one of the stories that really shocked me this week was the um, Liberal MP, uh, Trevor Hendy, who said, look, Sydney is a global city now. We just can't expect to have the same sort of ownership rates that we used to have of 66, 67 percent. You know, New York has 33 percent. Tokyo is 44 percent. France is, is I think, 30 percent sort of thing. That's what we can expect in the future. And it was sort of like holding up the white flag to the rent seekers and saying, you guys just come on in and clean up and we'll just create some more diversions here so that young people feel like uh, there is no alternative. That's right.
1: That's right. And uh, the other thing, let's go back to a statement that uh, Abbott made uh, maybe uh, five years ago about uh, you can always tell a renter's house by the fact that their uh, grass hasn't been cut. And it gave this it sort of this impression that people who were renters in some way or other are less, lesser within the democratic framework. And in fact, I'll, uh, when I was living in the country, there was a country town near uh, an old, you know, pastoralist type country town where, that was on the skids. And they were saying things like, we'll even welcome renters into the town." So there's this underlying notion that ownership of property in the old uh, English uh, idea of voting rights, if you go back to the Dickensian period, the voting rights are related to your land ownership rights. What have you got to say about that?
0: Gee, you must have been listening to my show this week. Oh, Uh,
1: right. I just, yeah. Well, there you go.
0: Because we were talking about Magna Carta and this this age-old control um, battle between uh, royalty, the aristocrats, and then the the common people, and how Magna Carta basically ignored that situation of the common people. It it might have given some tinkerings to uh, restoring commoners' rights in in the forest, but it pretty well set the precedent for uh, the enclosures to kick off not long after that. Um, but uh, uh, I'm still scratching my head that it was only in 1950 here in Victoria that uh, to be a member of the Legislative Council, you had to own property. So it's that recent that it was removed and opened up to the everyday person. Um, And then fast forward to today and you know, over the last year, some of our colleagues, uh, Philip Seuss and Lindsay David, Paul Egan, these types have been doing some fantastic work analysing just how many properties our MPs own. And uh, last year, I interviewed an activist from, I think, the Occupy movement uh, in the UK about uh, their horrid situation. You know, property prices in London have just gone through the roof. They're, they're the number one hotspot for foreign investment. But he was saying, look, we're just. Outraged that forty-one percent of MPs own real estate, and I said, "Well, we've got news for you. We're at ninety-four percent here federally," and the guy just about dropped the That's phone. Incredible. He said, "That's just crazy." So uh, apparently, th- those that ninety-four percent was pre Abbott. So since Abbott, the numbers have gone up even more.
2: I I find it interesting, kind of what you were saying about the all the. Uh The programs, you know, where they redo the house, where they renovate the house and all that. Because it kind of reminds me of what you're saying about Howard and that aspirational culture, and I think a lot of that is what it is. And if you're a renter, you're sort of completely excluded from that aspirational sort of lifestyle. And I think that it is, in some ways, a way of controlling people and that possibly it's not good politically that there's this whole generation of people who've completely given up on... Home ownership, And I do think that'll be a problem.
0: Well, that's a great point because they, they will come up with some other sort of patsy type policy like the first homeowner's grant and try and maintain that two-thirds private property ownership because if more and more people are ostracised outside of the property system and we do end up like uh, New York at 33% ownership, then the people will catch on that wherever our taxes go, to build a new school or a new train station those who own the property around that uh, will earn a lifetime of income taxes um, in kind via the capital gains and and over time and with the the power of the internet more and more people are realizing that these publicly financed um, infrastructure projects are really uh, a con job uh, to deliver this unearned income for the insiders
1: Mm. And then, of course, there's the recent uh, surveys that have shown that uh, women in particular are being uh, uh, sidelined when it comes to home ownership. And also as people get older, women get older, they are more and more likely to be homeless.
0: Oh, it's shocking. And the the 90% effective tax rate for uh, mothers returning to the workforce all the way through to, to single mums and the incredible pressures they face it's it's just uh, gobsmacking that the political system can look the other way and waleed ali had a killer article last week uh, he's just nailing it nearly every week uh, every night at the moment but uh, he was saying look both political parties effectively want this property bubble they want this generation um, X, Y and Z to, to be locked out uh, and this intergenerational wealth gap to, to really expand. And uh, you, you just scratch your head and wonder when, you know, the everyday person is really going to wake up and say, well, gee whiz, I might have made 100 grand on this house since I bought it. But once I sell it, I'm just going to have to borrow another 500 grand to buy in. So the only people who benefit from this ever-increasing property bubble are the investors. All right, so that was the interview on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie McLaughlin and Kim Doyle, broadcast here on 3CR Radio a few Saturday mornings ago. So keep an eye out for that radio show. They've always got good guests on board providing the important critical analysis we just do not receive in mainstream media. So just to build on some of those concepts discussed, uh, this week the federal government has released their exposure drafts and a regulatory impact statement of legislation designed to tighten foreign investment rules. So this is a long time coming, but uh, they've basically jacked up the the criminal and uh, civic fines. Yes, criminal criminal penalties uh, of up to well, one hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars for an individual who uh, uh, buys uh, real estate without foreign investment approval. And five times that, so up to $675,000 for a company. So uh, there's significant uh, penalties. So that's going to lead to a greater centralization of information. And it sounds like the Australian Tax Office is going to be screening uh, the residential real estate application. So that's good. They've got a significant workforce there. So uh, nice to see the ATO looking in to the real estate game, it'd be great if they took a wider interest in uh, the role of uh, this never-ending land game that continues to drive so much of the wealth inequality we see today. So they've also introduced application fees and for properties under $1 million or less for residential, there's a $5,000 application fee. And for properties above $1 million, it's $10,000, then $10,000 incrementally per additional $1 million in property values. So that's uh, reasonable. Think about some of these $40 million properties that have been going uh, recently in Sydney. There's some um, $400,000 in application fees, which might as well be called a sales tax or a stamp duty. So this will lead to inefficiencies and I dare say is going to ramp up the level of foreign investment in Sydney's hot, hot real estate up to December 1 this year. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh, by this time next year in the real estate world, especially if China's uh, rocky stock exchange continues Staggering numbers have been lost. Some $3.2 trillion has been lost over the last three weeks. But still, Goldman Sachs is saying it's not in a bubble yet. Well, goodness me, pretty volatile uh, if you ask me when there's that sort of money being wiped off. So, all in all, the world of economics remains a vital information source not only for ourselves but for the wider principles of economic freedom and justice that we talk about here on 3CR's Renegade Economists. Keep in touch via renegades at earthsharing.org.au, our Facebook account at earthsharing. The show notes will be up uh, within 24 hours on earthsharing.org.au. And yes, to finish off, uh, of course, I'm on Twitter, tweeting away at earthsharing. So thanks very much for listening. Let's hope uh, you can share this with your networks, maybe even give the show a review on iTunes. It's all appreciated. It's all part of the feedback loop of... uh yeah, building up this community of reformers around the world that continues to shine the light on the important distinction between producers and rent seekers. Critiquing capitalism is par se. We need to refine that into looking at those after the free lunch. That's where the real game is. My name is Kyle Fitzgerald. Thanks for listening.